Amen. Praise the Lord. Happy Easter. It is, uh, as Joy has said, as I have said, so good to be together as a church, uh, so good to be together and, uh, and ha- to, have, to have gathered in His name together to worship Him, to remember Him, to celebrate Him, uh, and to, to proclaim that He is risen. Praise the Lord. He is alive. The grave is empty. His body is gone. He is whole and healed and living. And because He lives, we can live. You know, last year was kind of challenging because we weren't together. And we have, you know, seen in this last year uh, that, uh, that not only were, were we not together in person, but that there's a lot of stuff that we're not together in agreement on. And, uh, and, and that, that really isn't new. This has been the, uh, the condition of mankind all the way back to Genesis. Togetherness has been elusive and, and difficult, uh, maybe even impossible. You know, we find it all the way back to uh, Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel. There wasn't but four of them and there's already conflict and, and, and division and, uh, and disagreement. Um, we're... we're, we're we are. Uh, we have we have a difficulty with this, uh, for many reasons. But I guess one of them that that really rises to the top uh, is that there's, you, you know, because of uh, because of doubt and 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 fear and desires and 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 divisions and confusions and and wonderings and deceptions. There's. There's so much that we are uh, in disagreement about. There's so much that, that uh, we, we are in arguments about, that, that we don't agree uh, upon. And, and because of that, it makes togetherness, uh, unity, uh, so incredibly difficult. And, you know, when you think about the many things that we disagree about, the many things that we argue about, I think the, I think the one that probably rises to the top, uh, you, you know, maybe not to the top, but certainly in at least the top three, is, is the arguments about life, about, about true life, about beautiful life, about what what real living is, like what real, true, meaningful life looks like. That may be the argument. Jesus, Jesus kind of identified it for us in, in, in an easy way to say it. In, in John 10.10, 10, you remember what he said? He said that the thief comes only to... Uh, to, uh, or, you know, maybe we should go King James. The, uh, the thief cometh, not but to steal, kill, 
and destroy. He comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But, but then Jesus said this. He said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. So, so Jesus identifies for us a way to say what it is that we're trying to say, a way to say what it is that we desire and we're looking for. It's abundant life. But there's a, but there's a lot of disagreement on what abundant life actually is, on, on what abundant life actually looks like. Now, now I, I, the exciting thing I think about this is that there is agreement on, on that we all desire this. And we're in agreement with Jesus that he desires it for us. Jesus reveals to us the desire of his heart that he wants us to live. And to truly live. To, to live life that is rich and beautiful and meaningful, abundant. And, and even that doesn't totally explain his desire for us because he had, he had to throw in there the word more, more abundant. He's like, I just, I just don't want for you abundant life. I want life that is more abundant. I want you to have abundance of living and and we're in agreement with him that we desire that for ourselves as well. I, I think maybe, you know, that is, that is agreement across the board. Maybe there's a few out there who don't desire it. But, you know, 99% of, of all people everywhere, men and women, boys and girls, from, from every race, and every nation, and every language, down inside of each and every one of us, we desire what Jesus described. We desire to live, to truly live, to live beautifully, to live abundantly, to live abundant life, and, and even more so. so. So we're in agreement on this desire, but that's kind of where the agreement ends, and the disagreement begins on what is abundant life? What, what, is it, what does it look like? And how can we have it? Where, where, where can it be found? And how is it described? And you know, one, one says this, and, and another says that about it, and, and one says it's up here, and another one says it's down there, and someone says it's over there, and and, and, and one would say it's found in this thing, and one would say it's found in that thing, and, and we kind of run round and round everywhere chasing this life that Jesus talked about. This, this beautiful, rich, true, abundant life that we desire and we want, and so we're after it to find it and make it our own. But there's disagreement on where it is and what it looks like and how you get it and how you can live in it. Tons of disagreement. It may be the disagreement, and, 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 it, and it becomes passionate, doesn't it? And because one person says it's this, and another person says, no, 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 it's not that. And they say, yes, it is this. And they say, no, it's not that, it's this. And so then there's this argument about what is abundant life. And, 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 then, 
And then we, we hear someone say something and, and, and we look at, the, at them and, and we think something about them and all of a sudden they gain influence about what abundant life is because of who they are and, and what they have. And so what they say then influences people and people flock to this person and then somebody else arises saying it's something else and they flock to that person. And you know here we go round and round everywhere looking for the meaning of life. Where is abundant life? How can I find it? Probably the thing that, that rises to the top is, is this idea that life is found in, in, in riches, that it's found in fame and success, and that it's found in having all the desires that I desire fulfilled in my life. This is why, you ever wonder why the rich and famous have so much influence? They have so much influence because they're rich and famous. And, and we think, we believe, that's abundant life. And so, we, so when they speak, they have influence because we think, well, they have abundant life, so they must know something about it. So they must be able to tell us what it is and how to get it. So they have tremendous influence because of life. Because it's thought that they have found it, that they have achieved it, that they have gained it, that they're living abundant, rich, full, beautiful life. And that's why they have influence, because they're rich and they're successful and they're powerful and everybody likes them. Everybody loves them. It makes me, I don't know, I'm going to stop. I was going to sing a song, but then I thought, well, I shouldn't do that. That's a crazy song. But you all seemed like you needed a little laugh, so maybe I should. You remember the, <laughs> nobody likes me, everybody hates me, I'm going to eat some worms. Yeah, I'm not going to sing it. There we go. All right, see, see that's, that's what we think. Nobody likes me, everybody hates me. I can't even afford bread. I'm exceedingly poor. I'm going to eat some worms. And so then somebody who has everything that we think is everything speaks, and, and the crowds and the multitudes listen. And that, maybe more than anything else, as viewed as, is viewed as what abundant life is. It's, it's, it's eat, drink, be merry, have fun, have riches, have possessions, have success, have fame, you then have life. Now, in, a, in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, Paul actually kind of brings this picture of life that I just described to you that many, many believe in and that we can so easily be deceived by, right? If we're not honest with ourselves, I mean, if we are honest with ourselves, because a lot of times we're not honest with ourselves, if we are honest with ourselves, then, then we should even admit, admit that, that even every now and then, if we're not careful, we can start to be deceived by this picture of life, by this picture of abundant life, by this way of living, eat, drink, and be merry. Have it all, and that's living. Whatever I want, whatever I desire, then I can get it and obtain it, and that is where abundant life is found. 
It's so very uh, deceptive. And, and, and Paul brings it into a conversation uh, when he's talking about the gospel and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, uh, Jesus Christ. Now, hopefully you're familiar with 1 Corinthians 15. I'm going to start at verse 1. And just remind us of some stuff, and then, then we'll skip a few verses and land on uh, some more verses, because it's, it's a long chapter and, uh, and you know, can, can stir up some deep uh, discussion uh, that hopefully we'll get into at some time, but, but some of it not today. Uh, now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, the, the gospel, the good news that, that he preached, uh, which you received and which... And which and on which you have taken uh, your stand, uh, you know, which I hope uh, is, is true of each and every one of us, that we have received the gospel and that we have taken our stand on the gospel of Jesus' name. Now he, now he uh, is, is going to tell us a little bit more and then he's going to explain the gospel to us. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. We don't want to believe in vain. We want, to, we want to hold on to the gospel. We want to stand firmly on it. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That what was prophesied in the scriptures, that Jesus would have to be crucified and die, came true, and that he died and his blood was shed for our sins, just like the word of God said. That he was buried, that he was, that he was, that he did die on that cross, that he was taken down off of that cross, and that he was that he was uh, wrapped in linens and and spices and and laid in the tomb, and the stone was rolled and it was sealed and it was guarded because he was dead, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to. The scriptures. That, that what Paul is saying is that Jesus was crucified, Jesus was buried, and Jesus rose again on the third days. And he says to us that scripture, the Bible, has told us all of this, and Jesus even said it himself, and then it happened. And that he appeared to Caiaphas, or, or uh, to Cephas, and, uh, which is Peter, uh, and then uh, to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are, who are uh, still living, though some have fallen asleep. So at the time that Paul wrote that, he said he appeared to Peter, he, he appeared to the 12 uh, apostles, uh, and then he appeared to 500 brothers and sisters, uh, and, and, and a lot of them are still alive. If you want to go talk to them, you can go talk to them and hear their testimony, though some of them are not still alive. Then he appeared to James and to all the apostles. So this is James, uh, not the two apostles James, uh, James the son of Zebedee and James the son of Alphaeus, but, but this is Jesus' half-brother uh, James uh, who did not believe, but when Jesus was resurrected, James decided, yeah, maybe I should believe. And he became one of the, one of the main leaders of the church. At, and then... And then at, la at, at and last of all, he appeared to me also, to, to Paul, as to one abnormally born. And that appearance 
transformed the Apostle Paul's life. For I am the least of the apostles and, of the apostles and <laughs> don't even deserve to be called an apostle. I think I said right there, the, the impossibles. <laughs> That's what I heard. I don't know what I said. For I am the least of the impossibles. The impossible apostles. Yes, praise the Lord. Pray for me. I do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Paul was so transformed by the grace of God that that he became the hardest working apostle. And he declared that because it was true, not not in arrogance. Whether then it it is I or they, this is what we preached and this is what you believed. This is, this is what was preached, this is what was proclaimed, and this is, what, this is what we have believed. But, verse 12, if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. So Paul says, if if Jesus has been raised from the dead, then there is the resurrection of the dead. Because there's this teaching that there's not the resurrection of the dead. But he says, if Jesus has been, then there is the resurrection for all who will believe. He says, but if, but if he's not been raised from the dead, then, then all that we're doing is useless. Then this gathering here together today is meaningless. We shouldn't be doing it. We should have slept in and gone to the lake, cast out our line, caught some fish, filleted them right there, made a fire, cooked them and ate them gone swimming, whatever, whatever else. He says our preaching then would be for nothing and our faith would be for nothing. It, it would be useless. Verse 15. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But, but if he did not raise him, but if he did not Rise, raise him, if in fact the dead are not raised, for if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. So, so Paul says, not only is our preaching uh, useless and, and your faith useless, but, but we are liars. We are false teachers because we've been saying that Christ has been raised from the dead. And, and not only is that true, but, but then Jesus is a liar as well. And Jesus is false as well if he didn't rise again from the dead because he said that he would. You remember that powerful moment when Jesus went into the temple and made a whip and, and drove out all the money changers and, and, the, and the liars and the, and the merchants and, and drove them out of his house and he said, and he said, he said, my father's house is to be a house of prayer, and you have ma- turned it into a den of thieves, into a den of robbers. And, and, and they said, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. They said, who do you think you are? 
They said, you come in here and you call this your father's house and you run us out of here, you better give us a sign proving that you have authority to do this, proving that, that you have authority to call this your father's house and to drive us out of here. You better show us something proving that you are who you say you are. And Jesus said this, he said, here's your sign. He said, I'm going to die, I'm going to be buried, on the third day I'm going to rise again. And if he didn't do it, then he's a liar. He's a crazy man who, who made a whip and went into the temple and called it his dad's house and drove people out of it. If, if he didn't rise again, then we shouldn't trust him. We shouldn't follow him. We don't have any hope because he's not who he said he was. But if he did, if he did rise again, then it is his father's house. And he does have authority to run the robbers and thieves out of it. If he did rise again, then Paul's preaching is not useless and neither is our faith. Where are we on? 17? And if Christ has not been raised, here he says it again, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. Your, your, your faith is useless if he hasn't raised. Your, your sins are, are still binding you and, and death will be your end. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, if only for the, for the right here and now we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Verse 20. Don't you love this? Aren't you thankful for verse 20? But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. If Jesus hasn't been, then we are of most people to be pitied, then we have no hope, but he has been. If Jesus hasn't been, then our preaching is useless, but he has been, so let's preach. If Jesus hasn't been, then there's no need for our faith, but he has been, so let us stand in faith. If he hasn't been, then, then, then this life is all that we have, but he has been raised from the dead, so we long for the desire in our hearts of eternity, and we know that it is true. Jesus has indeed been raised from the dead. I like the way the Methodists said it. He is risen. He is risen indeed. He is alive. He is alive indeed. Now, now let's skip some verses. Uh, I hate to do that, but you can go read them on your own. Let's skip some verses and go to, go to 32 because Paul kind of continues this, this line of thinking. He says, if I fought, fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than, than human hopes, if Jesus hasn't been raised, why am I in Ephesus fighting wild beasts for the gospel of Jesus' name? That, that's crazy. That's meaningless. If, if no more than for human hopes, what have I gained if indeed, if the dead are not raised? And if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then the dead are not raised. But if Christ has been raised, and he has, 
then the Christ, then, then the dead are raised, and, and then it's worthwhile to go to Ephesus and fight wild beasts to proclaim the gospel of Jesus' name. And then he says this, he says, if, if, if the dead are not raised and Christ has not been raised, he says, this is what we should do. Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. If, if there's no resurrection... If Jesus died on the cross and was buried in the tomb and the stone rolled and sealed him there and he's still in that tomb, never having risen again, he said, then, then, then there's not abundant life found in him and the only abundant life that we may have a hope at is this right here. Let's, let's eat and drink for tomorrow we die. And this is what many people think is, is life. This is what many believe is, is true life, ab- abundant life. This is, this is the way the world's living. Let's live it up for today. Let's have fun today. Let's eat and drink and, and, and gather all that we can and have all that we want and get every craving of our flesh because tomorrow we die and that's the end. And that's over, and it's finished. They're, they're living like, like there's only here and now. Like this is life. Let's eat and drink, have a good time, gather all that we can. Let's be rich and famous so that we can do this more and more and more and more. Right? Let's, let's get to Friday. Because we're going to live on Friday because Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, Friday night, Saturday, and Sunday, we eat and drink, uh, you know, for who knows when we might die. And then, and then Paul says this, and he says, don't be misled. Don't be misled by this. He's, so he's, he's saying, I don't agree with that. The Apostle Paul saying, I don't think that's right. I don't think that's true. I don't think that's abundant life. He's saying, I don't, I don't agree with that. He says, don't be, don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Isn't that interesting? Right here he says, he, says, he says, if Jesus hasn't raised from the dead, let's eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. He says, but don't be misled by that. Remember, he's already said that Jesus has risen from the dead. And then he throws in here this line, bad company corrupts good character. Did you know that was in the Bible? I know you've probably heard that. It's in the Bible. That's where it is right there in the conversation about the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because, because bad company can so mislead us to believe that this is life. We can so be misled by, by the lifestyles of the rich and famous who eat and drink and, and party and, and live it up thinking that that is life, bad company corrupts good character. Paul saying in here that if Jesus has risen from the dead, then there is a little more than this to live for. That there is a little uh, something more than this when it comes to abundant life. And Jesus is who he said he is. And he's the one who said, I've come that you might have life and that more abundantly. So instead of, instead of looking to bad company, to those who would mis- mislead us, to those who are living like this and believing this, maybe 
we should turn to Jesus and see what he has to say about life and that more abundantly. I want to turn to Luke uh, chapter 24 and share with you a couple of these verses of the, of the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And as we go to, to Luke 24, uh, let me remind you that Jesus not only said that I've come that you might have life and that more abundantly, but, but that he said some powerful things about life that Jesus often spoke about life. Do, do, do you remember some of them? That, that he said, you remember to the woman at the well, that he could give her living water. That if she drank of it, that she would never thirst again. That's quite a statement, isn't it? If he rose again from the dead, if he is risen, then it's true. If he didn't, then he's a crazy man. If he did, it's true. Jesus, Jesus said, he said, I'm the bread of life. He said, if you eat of me, you'll never hunger again. If he, that's crazy, isn't it? And many people left because they said, man, that's crazy. It's crazy unless he is the only begotten son of God. And if he rose again from the dead, he is. If he's not, if he didn't, that's crazy. But he did. He is risen. He is risen indeed. If, if, if he's not who he said he is, then let's eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. If he is who he says he is, then abundant life is not found in money. It's not found in possessions. It's not found in mansions. It's not found in fame. It's not found in success. It's not found in the praise of people. It's found in Christ and in Christ alone. This is what he said in John 14, 6. He said, speaking of himself, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And they said, prove it. And he did. He died. He was buried and he rose again. If he didn't rise again, then you can crumble that up and throw it out. But if he did rise again, then he is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. Then abundant life is found in Jesus. I think we see this Again here, uh, if you look uh, in, in Luke 24, I, I just wanted you to remind you of this and, and see this, the, the story of the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, because this, this is not fairy tale or fiction. Uh, this, is, this is Luke uh, investigating everything and writing out history. That's what he says in Luke chapter 1. On Luke chapter 1, he says that. Let's look at Luke 24. On the first day of the week, Sunday, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Yeah, you know, because 
Because when God says move, <laughs> you move. But, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. For they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Uh, verse 4, for while they were wondering about this, see they're thinking about this, wondering about this, trying to figure out what, what is going on here, uh, suddenly, two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. There's this powerful encounter that takes place uh, in the tomb. Yeah, I, I think angels like to do things suddenly just to give people a startle, you know? It's like you know Luke chapter 2 when, when the angel appears to the shepherds and then suddenly there was a, 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 a great host of angels uh, here, here there in the tomb. Can't you see them wondering about this? And then suddenly uh, these two men uh, appear and, and they're wearing clothes that, that gleam like lightning. I, I've been trying to picture that. You know what lightning looks like when it comes down and, and here these guys are with these clothes that, that gleams like lightning standing beside them. It, it's kind of an important important time. It's an, an important note, right? Because we have, the, we have the testimony of the apostles, the testimony of the disciples, the testimony of these women, the testimony of Paul, but we also have the testimony of the angels. Verse 5. In their fright, understandably so, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, why? It's an interesting question, isn't it? Why do you look for the living among the dead? Why do you look for the living among the dead? So many times I, I want to ask that question to so many people. Like, like, why are you looking for life where there's death? Why are you looking for the answers of life from the dead? Why are you listening to whitewashed tombs who aren't even alive to try to tell you about life? Why are you searching the dead for abundant life? Why do we want to know what the dead have to say about living? Why do we want to know what they think about life? Why are we running after the dead looking for abundant life? They don't have it. They're dead. Why are we looking for life among the dead. There's somewhere else to look. It's the living. Why do we want to hear about life from anyone other than Jesus? He's the only one who died and rose again and lives. He's the only one who knows about life. He's the only one who is life. He's the authority on the subject. He is where we need to look. And people say, well, how do you know? Because there's so many other places. We know because He is risen. Because the grave couldn't hold Him. Because the stone was rolled away and He is alive. I don't want to hear what the, what the rich and famous have to say because when they die, they're dead. I've seen it happen time and time again. I don't care what they say. They're not an authority. They don't know. Only Jesus does. 
Why are we looking to the dead for life? Why are we following their example? Why do we even care what they say? You ever had that thought? Like when, when you're watching TV or something and, and the rich and famous are telling us about life? I'm like, I do not care what you say. I will not be misled by your bad character. It has no impact or influence on me at all. Unless they claim the name of Jesus Christ. Unless they are blood-bought and spirit-filled. Unless they proclaim the gospel of Jesus' name. I am not impacted or influenced. I do not care. I do not want to know about life from the dead. Why, why, what, what are you guys doing? Ladies, why are you here? Don't you remember? Didn't you know? This shouldn't be a surprise. Jesus told you. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Where, where is he? He's not here. He's not here. He's not in all of that. Because life is not in all of that. Life is not in riches. Abundant life is not in fame. Abundant life is not in success. Abundant life is not having every craving of your flesh fulfilled. Abundant life is not in sin. Sorry to tell you, it's not. That's why Jesus came to deal with sin. Right? That's what we think. We think if I can if I could just be free to sin, that's where life is. No, it's not. The pleasures of sin are but for a season to lead us astray and completely enslave us so that the purpose of sin can be fulfilled to steal, kill, and destroy everything about you. Hey, yeah? He's not in that. He's not here. He has risen. He is alive. Remember? How he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. Then they said, oh yeah, oh yeah, he said that. That's what happened. He, he, he told us it was going to happen and it happened just like he said it would, it would happen. And now he has risen again. And because he lives, I live. And because he lives, I am not confused. Because he lives, I am certain that in Christ and in Christ alone is life and that more abundantly. You remember the four F's of abundant life? It's, it's freedom. It's friendship. It's fruitfulness. It's forever. Abundant life is free life. Abundant life is beautiful relationship, friendship life. Abundant life is fruitful, life-giving life. Abundant life is eternal, forever life. That life is only found in Christ. It's only in Christ you find freedom. It's only in Christ you'll find friendship. It's only in Christ you'll find fulfillment and fruitfulness. It's only in Christ that we are forever in the Father's house. 
So then they, verse 9, then they, then they come back from the tomb and they told all of these things to the eleven and, and, to, and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, uh, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them uh, who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women. They struggled with this uh, because their words seemed to them like nonsense. And maybe, maybe, maybe you struggle with that a little bit right now. You're, this, this doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem real. It maybe seems like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. He's wondering, and, and he's confused and, and, and thinking about what has taken place and where is the body of Jesus. And, and, then, and then the story shifts to, to two of, of the disciples of Christ who are on their way to Jerusalem. It's called, the story's called On the, the, the Road to Emmaus. You've probably heard it. And as they're walking along the road, Jesus appears to them and walks with them, but, but who he is is hidden from their eyes. And so they, they walk along the road and they're having this conversation and, uh, about Jesus and about everything that has taken place. And, they, and Jesus says to them, what are you guys talking about? What's happened? And uh, you, you remember that when Jesus asks a question, it's, it's not because he doesn't know. And they're like, where have you been, man? You've been living in a hole? How do you not know about everything that's taken place? And so, and so they begin to tell Jesus about everything. And then Jesus says to them, look, you guys aren't understanding what's going on. And it says that Jesus then opened the scriptures for them. And he went from Moses to the prophets and began to explain to them what had happened and what had taken place place. And in Luke 24, uh, 30, verse 30, we'll, we'll jump to there. In verse 30, uh, it, it says that he was about to depart from them, but they convinced Jesus uh, to come and eat with him, to eat with them. And, uh, and this is where we pick it up in verse 30. When he was at the table with them, uh, he took bread and gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they realized and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. So he's sitting at the table. They haven't known this whole time who he is. He breaks bread and begins to give it to them. And in that moment, their eyes were opened and they recognized this is Jesus. I wonder, I wonder how many need their eyes opened. I wonder how many have, have not yet fully seen Jesus for who He is. I wonder how many have not yet recognized that He has risen from the dead, that He is Savior and Lord, King of kings, Alpha and Omega, beginning and the end, the only begotten Son of God, the Christ, the Messiah, our hope and our salvation. I wonder how many are still struggling with doubts and they just need their eyes open to see. Maybe, maybe, I wonder how many have been walking with them on the road and, and having some for, so, uh, form of 
fellowship with him and yet still not recognizing that he is exactly who he is. How many need their eyes open to see? And the story goes on here into verse 32. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and they returned at once to Jerusalem. And there they found the eleven and those, who, and those with them assembled together. And saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke bread. And while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. So, so now, now, not only are, are they having to deal with this, the testimony of the women and, and these two uh, apostles, these two disciples, but now Jesus himself stands here, stands there with them, and, and they were startled and frightened and frightened, thinking that they saw a ghost. You know, because they had seen him die. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise? In your minds. Why do doubts rise in your minds? Why, why are you so troubled? Why, why the indecision? Why are you still wanting, wanting to, to drink, to eat, drink, for tomorrow we die, and, and, and still wanting also the abundant life that is found in Christ? Why, why are you wanting this hybrid life? Why do, why do doubts still rise in your minds? And then Jesus says to them, look at this, this is, this is incredible. He says, look at my hands and my feet, right? He's, he's got hands and feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. Jesus is not, Jesus is not, some just spirit. And it wasn't some spiritual resurrection. The empty was tomb. I mean, the tomb was empty because his body was gone. Because it was a bodily resurrection. And he's got hands and feet and you can touch him. And he's got flesh and bones. And he's alive. And then he says this. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe because of the joy and amazement, because they're so blown away by all this, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? He says, man, I really got to convince these guys. They're touching me, flesh and bone. Do you have anything here to eat? And he does this. And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He's got flesh and bone, hands and feet, and he can eat. Sounds like all kinds of alive things to me. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds 
so they could understand the Scriptures. And he told them, this is what was written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And they saw and they believed, they recognized that Jesus is risen from the dead. And if he is risen from the dead, then abundant life is found in him. He is life. And it's time for us, for you, to stop looking for life among the dead. To stop looking for life and, and, and searching for it and being influenced by the dead and to look to the living one who has risen because it is in Christ Jesus that we find abundant life. It is in Christ and in Christ alone. And, and, and if you doubt this and are wondering about this, and are confused about this, and not certain about this, I think it would be good and right and acceptable to pray and ask God, open my eyes, open, open up my mind, open up my eyes, bring to me revelation so that I can see and know that you have risen from the dead so that I can proclaim that you are risen. I've never heard a story where someone honestly began to search for Jesus and honestly prayed that he would reveal himself and Jesus didn't do it. Have you ever heard a testimony where somebody said, man, I asked for Jesus to reveal himself. He never did. No, if, if we're honest and we're right and, and, and we're for real and we ask, open my eyes so I can see. I want to know the truth. I don't want to spend my life, I don't want to spend my life living life that's not life, that's not rich and, and true and beautiful and abundant. I want to live an abundant life. I want to know it and, and have it and live in it and live in it forever. And if we pray and ask God, He will open our eyes so that we can see Jesus for who he truly is. Walk with him and walk with him and walk with him. And now we ask, Lord, help us to see him. And we recognize and see and know. And when you know, everything shifts. Everything changes. And life becomes all about him. Living for him. Living by him. Living through him living with him. And we pursue no longer the dead things of this world, but we pursue the living things that are found in the living one and have life and that more abundantly. So as we close this morning, wouldn't it be fitting to just, to just bow our heads and close our eyes and to just pray and ask the Lord to open our eyes to see Jesus to open our eyes to see the Scripture, to open our eyes to truly see life and that more abundantly. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, with our 
heads bowed and our eyes closed. We see here in the scripture how, how you can open our hearts, you can open our minds, you can open our eyes so that, so that we can see and, and the light comes on and, and, we, and we know that you are risen from the dead. So Lord, I, I pray on top of all of this evidence that you would come and bring revelation, that you'd come and open our eyes to see. And Lord, I, I pray for mine, that you would give me, that you would open the eyes of my heart in order to see the hope to which I'm called, the glorious inheritance that is in the saints and the, and the resurrection of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Help me to see you more and more to see you more clearly and to know you more deeply every day of my life. As I walk through life with you, let me grow in the knowledge of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that everyone just prayed that prayer who is in this room and all who may be listening or watching, that they prayed for you to open their eyes so that they can see, see you risen see you alive, and know that because you have risen, that you are true and just and faithful, and we can trust you that everything you said is right. With every head bowed and every eye closed this morning and no one looking around, I just want to ask if, if you are seeing Jesus for who he is, and you want to put your faith and trust in him and make him Savior and Lord, would you just raise your hand? Yes. Yes, amen. Yes, I see your hand. I see your hands. Yes, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, I see your hand. Hallelujah. Everyone, if you've raised your hands, let's just pray together and just, just repeat after me and pray this prayer from your heart. Just a prayer of confession to Jesus and of and of request to Him. And just as we pray, just repeat after me. Lord Jesus, I see You and I believe that You are the Son of God. In Jesus, I receive Your forgiveness, Your mercy, and Your grace. And I open my heart and ask you to come into my life and be my Savior, be my Lord, be my forever passion. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Yes, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hey, praise the Lord.